Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. So, hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. And those of y'all in the crossroads, you're probably wondering, what was that? That had nothing to do with where we were headed tonight, uh, but that was just my way of moving through the awkward, is my mic on or is it not, that kind of thing. And so, anyway, I'm so excited that you are here tonight. And where we are headed, I'm really, really excited about what God is going to download into your life from his word and from the life of Jesus And so if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. We are coming to you right here from Lee Summit, Missouri, and we are coming to you guys in the crossroads. We just want to shout out you guys, and uh, we are so excited that every young adult has joined us for this thing called Paradigm. Paradigm is one ministry in two locations, and we get together every Tuesday night to rally around God's Word and allow it to inform our lives. And there was a cultural moment that we're living right now that I want to talk about and allow it to inform where we are headed over the next few minutes together. And so I don't know if you were anything like me, but Wednesday morning I was trying to figure out if I'm going to go to the parade or not. And I got together because I was, I was a little bit torn between two worlds. I had Valentine's Day with my girls, and, and then I had the Super Bowl parade, and I was given a little bit of time off, and we were doing this renovation project at the house, and so I was trying to juggle all of these things. And so I started getting text messages Wednesday afternoon, hey, were you at the parade? are you okay? Hey, were you at the parade? Is everyone okay? Did you take your family? Is everyone okay? And if you don't know what happened, we won the Super Bowl in Kansas City and we were celebrating with the Super Bowl parade on Wednesday and everything was, everything was going good. You know, and a lot of you guys, y'all were there and you were with your crew and you were celebrating and cheering on our team. And it was like, man, we got to do this again. It was amazing. We're celebrating. And then as the party was over, there was a dispute between a couple of young people and, and guns were pulled and shots were fired. Children were injured. Unfortunately, a lady passed away in this dispute. And what went from a celebration because of hate became a devastation. And we're all kind of in this process. Many of you were there and you were interviewed and you're processing the trauma of being that close to gunfire and Many of you, if you weren't there, you, you've already heard by now and, and you've been processing, man, this was like in, on the front porch of Union Station. Like this is, a, this is a, a really fun place in our city and all of this happened and, and how could this happen? And, and if, I don't know if you know this about tragedy or trauma, but, but it's like you play the scene over and over in your mind, right? And you start thinking, man, what if I was there or I was there? What if this would have happened? Oh my goodness, I can't unhear the things I heard. I can't unsee the things I've seen. And when the pandemonium hit, man, fear struck in the lives of people. And in the days after, what we're seeing, and as I'm talking with people, it's like, man, I, I don't know how to process this. There's, there's people in my circles, there's people that I work with that were there, and, and they don't know how to process this. And, and the thing about tragedy is that it conjures up all sorts of emotions, like there's grief and then there's anger and then there's like, there's like no way and then there's like, oh my goodness, somebody should have and, and if I were there, I would have done this and there's all of these things and, and listen, what happened Wednesday is incredibly tragic but that's just a, a, a data point in a life that really is full of tragedy that we've all come in here tonight and, and the reality is is that what took place on Wednesday 
is, is just a, an example or a sample of tragedy that has taken place in many of your lives, maybe this year. Maybe the tragedy that you're facing is a, is a divorce that your family's going through. Maybe it's a, a diagnosis that you've received personally or a loved one has received. Or maybe you got the news recently that they've passed away and you're thinking, they're too young to die. What, what do you mean? How did this happen? And, and there's tragedy in your life. Now, it's in moments of tragedy, we come into places like this and we're singing songs about the goodness of God and we're studying the Bible about how God is good and how he's sovereign and it's in moments of tragedy that that begins to get rocked a little bit. And we start asking ourselves, like, okay, if I'm a person of faith, if I claim to be a Christian, how does that impact this present cultural moment in this situation? And tonight, I wanna talk about that. Because if you're a Christian, there is a response that we find from the life of Jesus when it comes to tragedy. And so tonight I wanna talk about how Christians respond to tragedy. And now before I get there, let me just define what I mean by Christian because I think that that's a little bit of a confused title in our culture today. That somebody can be a Christian and, and when it comes to the Bible, they can completely disagree with parts of the Bible and still claim that they're a Christian. In our culture, it can be really confused. Somebody can be a Christian and they can think that they're a Christian because they, they checked a box or they did some ritual and it can be really, really confusing what a Christian is. So when I say Christian, what I mean is that you are somebody that is surrendered to the lordship of Jesus in your life, that he's the boss of your life. That the word Christian literally means little Christs. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament and every time it is used in reference to the disciples of Jesus. A disciple in the Greek is the word mathetes. That literally means you are a disciplined follower of a master. That the disciples of Jesus, they were the ones that said, man, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and that he is soon returning for his church. That's what makes someone a Christian. They have put their faith and trust in Jesus and then they are following the life and the leadership of Jesus. And when Jesus says, go this way, they don't say, no, nah, I ain't going that way. They say, yes, sir, I'm gonna go that way because you're the Lord of all and you're the Lord of my life. And a disciple, that's what a Christian is. It's somebody that is disciplined in their fellowship of Jesus. And in Acts eleven twenty six, the disciples, it says, at Antioch were called Christians first. And so when we talk about how Christians respond to tragedy, we really should look at how Jesus responded to tragedy and try to follow his lead. Now, Jesus, he was born in a world that was full of tragedy. I think sometimes we think that, you know, Jesus had it easy and we really got it tough. You know, I think sometimes we think, you know, Jesus, he wouldn't understand the heaviness of our, our life. But when you look at the historical landscape of the world that Jesus lived in, it was tough, y'all. They were subjugated to the Roman rule in his country. Like he, he had, they really had no rights. The Romans ruled over them. Like they would see people crucified. Like he, he had family members or cousins that were crucified in the Maccabean revolt. He would have heard these stories and maybe even seen the remnants of the, those sorts of things. And Jesus, he lived in this world that was full of oppression and full of tragedy, let alone his own personal tragedy. That you and I, we walk into a world that is full of disease, that's full of death, that's full of, 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 of difficulty. And Jesus, he lived in a similar world. And so when it comes to tragedy, Jesus is acutely aware of what it's like to go through some stuff. And we're going to look at his life and how he navigated a tragic time in his life. And hopefully he can inform the way that we choose to navigate the difficulties or the tragic things in our life. If you're taking notes, I've titled tonight's message, How Do Christians Respond to Tragedy?, 
How do Christians respond to, dra- the, to tragedy? And I want you to see tonight that the way that you're going to respond to tragedy is that you have to cling to the person of Christ. You have to share your tears openly. And then you have to look to the resurrection for hope. In John chapter 11, what's going on is that Jesus, he has gotten the news that one of his friends, Lazarus, is sick. And he's sick like about to die sick. And so Jesus chooses to deliberately delay so that he can show the glory of God off. But no one really understands why he's delaying, but he does delay. And what happens is that he gets the news that Lazarus is sick and Jesus knows that it's not going to end well for Lazarus in the acute, but in the end, it's going to work out just fine for him. And so in John chapter 11, pick it up in verse 17, it says this. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Talking about Lazarus, Jesus' friend, had already been dead for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary, she was just sitting at the house. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. I love this, that Martha, she's bringing her difficulty to Jesus. Some of y'all, just a little sidebar, you need to know this. God is big enough to handle your frustration. God is big enough to handle your grief. If you need to tell God, God, I wish you would have showed up and showed out in this situation, you need to get that out. And Jesus is not, he doesn't rebuke Martha. He doesn't say, get out of here with all of that. Jesus is secure enough and he's big enough and he loves you enough to let you get it out. So Martha just goes to him, I love that. She's just being honest. That's what God wants. He wants your heart. So Jesus, he said to her, your brother will rise again. I love that. Jesus can see what you and I cannot see sometimes. He says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know, I know, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I love that. What a boast. What a brag. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, we're talking about the resurrection. While we're talking about that, you're looking at the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will not perish, but will live for eternity. And then I love Jesus. He just asked Martha this question, and I believe that he's jumping off the pages tonight. And he's asking every one of us this question. Do you believe in me? This is who I am. Do you believe in me? What a great question. I wonder, when you hear about the claims of Jesus, do you believe those claims? When you hear about the the audaciousness of this man, Jesus, saying, I'm the resurrection and the life, do you really believe that he is the son of God, sinless in all of his ways, dying on a cross for your sins and for mine and for the world's, raising from the grave, and he is the one that holds the keys to life and death, to heaven and hell. And when you put your faith in him, do you believe in him that he will raise you? Do you believe that? And so Jesus asked Martha that question. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, love that. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. We're talking about tragedy tonight. We have this cultural moment where we are all reeling from what happened on Wednesday. That we went from celebration to devastation because of hate. And as we navigate the cloudiness and the fog of tragedy How do we navigate that in a way that brings God glory where we're seeing what Jesus does? And point number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You got to cling to the person of Christ. You got to cling to the person of Christ. See, Jesus is informing Martha 
of his character. And he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. It's as if Jesus is saying, on my way to this tragedy, I need to remind everybody and maybe even remind himself, I am the resurrection and the life. That Jesus, he's, he's challenging her belief as well. He's saying, do you believe this? And again, he's jumping off the pages and he's saying to all of us that may be carrying a little bit of tragedy right now, do you believe that there is hope in the person of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And what's the alternative in your time of tragedy? What, do you, what are you going to cling to? I think about all the things that we cling to in times of tragedy. Some of us just want to, we just want to cover our head with the covers and just sleep. And just wish it away, but it don't go away. Some of us, we want to run to the bottle for consolation and we just want to drink it away thinking if I just get so blacked out right now, it will just kind of disappear, and it will for a moment, but then you'll wake up hungover and still with the tragedy. Some of us want to run to a relationship, and we just, we just need a, just a moment of fun and a moment of pleasure, and, and we think that, okay, that's going to make things better, but, but then you're just going to have that kind of hungover from the one-night stand, and it's, is it making it better? I don't think so. What do you cling to? And what Jesus is proposing is that you can cling to the only anchor that holds in the storm. That you cling to the person of Christ. And it's in times of tragedy that your theology is checked. You know what I mean by theology? You know, theology is that big $10 word that means your, your study of God. And it's in times of tragedy that your understanding of God is checked. Notice that when Jesus steps onto the scene, he doesn't give a big theological discourse, but he gives a profound statement of his character. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. That's what you need to know. We don't have to go to seminary to get downloaded the core truths of who Jesus is so that we can cling on to the person of Christ in the midst of our tragedy. See, Jesus is informing the situation with the power of the person of who he is. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm going to inform your mind. You've got to cling on to this in the midst of your tragedy. This is who Jesus is. One theologian, he says this, that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What do you think about God? What is your understanding of God? What is your theology? When you think about God, when you think about Jesus in the midst of tragedy, you better have some understanding of who God is. Because you don't want to be building your theology in the middle of a tragedy. See, tonight's when we build our theology. We're relatively at peace right here. We're at peace in the crossroads. You got your, hopefully got your books open. Hopefully you got your notes out. Hopefully you're here. Young adult ministry, paradigm. You know, we got everything's safe right now. The waters are placid in this place right now. But maybe only for a moment many of you are going to leave and you're going to go back to the things that you're dealing with. Some of you, tragedy may strike tomorrow. And it's in these moments that we come in here and we don't waste our time, but we build our theology so that when things happen in life, and they will, you know they will, you're prepared. That in the midst of tragedy, that is not the best time to build your theology. And so let's make a choice tonight. Let's build our theology tonight so that we ready ourselves for the days to come. So Martha, I love this because she had spent time with Jesus. 
And, and so like she, her and Jesus and Mary and Lazarus, they had spent some time. So when Jesus comes to her and says, I'm the resurrection and the life, this wasn't really new information to Martha. She was just being reminded of what she already knew about Jesus. That's why she was able to say with integrity, yes, I believe in you. And so again, she had chosen at some point in her life where the waters were placid and calm and everything was good and no one was sick and no one was on a deathbed. She had chosen to build her theology. Again, now is the time to build your understanding of who Jesus is so that when tragedy hits, you can draw upon the things that you've already downloaded into your mind because you don't want to be developing your theology in the middle of a tragedy. Uh, the way I'll put it is that you, you don't want to be building your theology on the 10th floor of Children's Mercy Hospital. Now, what I mean by that is a few years ago, we went to the doctor with my oldest daughter and we found out that her brain was moving into her spinal column because her skull was not large enough for her brain. And so we said, okay, what, what does that mean? Can you take some Advil and it get better? And they said, no, no, this is very serious. We're actually going to have to cut her skull open and we're going to have to put spacers in her skull so that it will create space for her brain to move back in her skull. And listen, it's in that time when you don't want to be going, man, I wonder, is God good? I wonder, what is God, what is God sovereign? Does God have a plan for this? You don't want to be building your theology on the 10th floor of Children's Mercy Hospital. Because when your baby is going to go have her skull cut open, you better make sure that you have some sort of understanding of who God is so that you can navigate those tragedies with a sense of I'm clinging to the person of Jesus. Because you want to know before then that God is sovereign, that he does not get surprised by anything, that oops never comes out of God's mouth. You want to know by then that God is good. You want to know by then that God is working towards an end that is going to be a, a good end. You want to know by then that God is the one that is leading us to something that is far more glorious than this broken, tainted, fractured world. You want to know by then that God is going to work these things in the end for good. You don't want to be trying to figure that out when you're in the middle of the storm. You better build your theology now, not in the midst of tragedy. See, when tragedy hits, you have to cling to the person of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He starts with that. He informs Martha's mind. He informs the situation. He informs himself. He says this, you need to know this about me. And it goes on in verse 28. And he says this, and when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she had heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw Mary ro rose up and quickly went out, they followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, notice the honesty, that he's got brutal honesty. And he's saying that you can hear you can present these things. Jesus is saying, you come and you present these truths to me. I'm big enough to handle your honesty. And he goes on in verse 33, he says, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, notice Jesus' response. It says, he, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. 
This word groan is almost like he, he bellowed something out. And it says this, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then one of the most profound things that we have in our entire Bible is the presence of Jesus. And it says, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. We're talking about tragedy tonight. And we're looking at the model of Jesus so that we as Christians, as his followers, know how to navigate the fogginess of tragedy and the cloudiness of difficulty. And what we see is that Jesus wept. And so point number two, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. If you're going to navigate tragedy in a way that's going to bring God glory, you have to share your tears with others. You have to share your tears with others. Jesus is weeping openly. He's groaning. This isn't some like, you know, obligatory tear. Oh, I'm kind of sad. Covered up with my sunglasses thing. This is Jesus. He's, he's grieving and heaping and weeping openly. This isn't dignified. This is weeping. If you don't know this about Jesus, Jesus is 100% man and he is 100% God. The Jesus, he, he's been through the things that you and I go through. When you lost a loved one, I don't know if you've lost somebody close to you, but it hurts. And there is a weeping, there is a groaning, there's a bellowing, a crying out. Jesus has been there. He's felt that. Jesus has gone through the, 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 just the energy that happens around a group of people that are all sobbing. This is what the energy that's going on. Jesus, he's, he's feeling this. He's modeling for us one of the most important things that we have to do when we're going through tragedy. And here it is, real simple. You got to grieve. You, you got to get it out. Some of you need to be released to grieve the tragedy that you've endured. Some of you need to be released to weep. And so Jesus is modeling for us that we need to get this thing out. But he's also modeling for us how we, how we serve people that are in the midst of something difficult. And he's offering something that we need to learn to offer as Christians. And it's a thing called empathy. That it's the power of his presence he shows up and, and he just, he, he helps them cry, if you, if you will. And he joins them and he grieves with them. It makes me think of this story about a little boy that used to go visit his neighbor. And the neighbor, was, there was a, an elderly couple that lived right next door and he said, mom, can I go visit the neighbor? She said, sure. And they would, they would you know, sit over there and, and they would, he'd get candy from the older man and he would, he would just talk and ask questions and you know, come back to the house. And mom said, what y'all talk about? And said, oh, mom, we talked about, we talked about baseball. And, and, and just go on. What y'all talk about? We talked about fishing. We talked about adventures. And, and then one day, the little boy asked mom, can I go visit the neighbor? And the mom said, I, I don't know, son. Uh, I was informed that our neighbor's wife passed away. And the little boy said, okay, well, well can, can I still go visit him? She said, yeah, but just maybe just go say hi. And so the little boy goes next door, visits this older gentleman, and, and for two hours he's there. And when he comes back home, his mom asks, well, is everything okay? And, and the little boy says, yeah, I, I think it's going to be okay. And mom asks her son, well, what did y'all talk about? And the little boy says, well, we, we really didn't talk a whole lot. And, and mom says to her little son, well, what did y'all do for two hours? And the little boy looks at his mom and says, I just helped him cry. That he just sat 
and offered empathy. And one of the greatest things that we can do with those that are going through difficulty is just to help them cry. That this is one of the most profound things that we do to put the love of God on display in a tangible way. That grief, it's a powerful thing that should be embraced as we endure tragedy. That we help other people get it out, but also we have to get it out as well. Listen, if you do not deal with your grief properly, it's going to come out sideways. If you try to suppress your grief, it's going to move out sideways in ways that are typically dysfunctional. And so if you're going through something or you've been through something, you have to admit, man, that stunk, that hurt, (laughs) that's loss, that's tragic. You have to admit that. You have to draw near to others who are in pain and you got to let that grief out. You got to weep. There's no dignity in sucking it up. There's no, there's no, there's nothing, no award for you toughening it out. We are people made of the, of emotions. And when grief happens, when tragedy happens, it's okay to be sad. And if something sad happens, let it be sad. And Jesus is showing us how to navigate tragedy. And one of the main ways that we navigate tragedy is we weep. That's what it means to be human. You grieve. It goes on, and Jesus, he's not done yet. He's about to do something wild. Here's what it says in verse 37. It says, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind and also kept this man from dying, couldn't he have done something here? And then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. So again, he's like, he's like he's heaving and he's sobbing in the tomb. It tells us it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, or excuse me, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. That Jesus has done this miracle. (laughs) He's called this man Lazarus to resurrect from the grave. That Jesus is now proving the proclamation that he claimed that he is the resurrection and the life. He's saying, I'm going to show you. I'm going to cash that check. Point number three, if you're taking notes, how do you navigate tragedy? Well, third and finally, you have to look to the resurrection for hope. Point number three, you have to look to the resurrection for hope. See, this was the proof that Jesus is the person that he said he was. He's giving them a glimpse of something greater to come. If you don't know the story of Jesus, what happened with Lazarus is Lazarus, he resurrected. This was a miracle. This, was, this is why it's written in the Bible. This is not normal. So Jesus does this, but all of this was just a foreshadow of a greater resurrection that was about to take place. And if you don't know the story of Jesus, what's going to happen in John 12 is that he's going to start moving on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to get betrayed by the crowd and the mob's going to come against Jesus. 
He's going to get illegitimately accused and arrested. Then he's going to get sentenced by the Romans to be crucified. They're going to string him up on a cross where he's going to die in just a matter of days from this moment. But three days later, the reason why we're here today, the reason why there's a church in Lee Summit, Missouri, the reason why there's a church in downtown Kansas City, the reason why there's a bunch of Americans that heard about the gospel is because Jesus didn't stay dead. He came up out of that grave, and that's the proof by which we bank our belief upon. And in the midst of tragedy, you can't just have a promise. You need proof. In the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of loss, you can't just cling on to some good words. You need proof. And the proof that we hang every promise of Jesus upon is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we are fools to be pitied by all men, the word of God says. But the resurrection is the proof that Jesus is who he says he is. That the proof that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And because of the resurrection, every catastrophe, every tragedy will be undone someday. See, the resurrection of Jesus is the most defining and distinct thing about Christianity. The resurrection is the proof that we hang on to that things will get better in the end. I've heard it said that there is no death that a good resurrection can't fix. There is no problem that a good resurrection can't fix. I don't know how people make it without the hope of a resurrection. I don't know how people make it through a tragedy without some sort of shining light that he is alive and that he's going to right all wrong someday. I don't know how people make it without the hope of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we should be people that look to the hope that is in Christ and namely his resurrection. But as Christians, there's a paradox that we live and we see it right here. Jesus is living the paradox. It's like he's, he's happy, sad. The paradox is that Christians should be the, the saddest people in the world. We should lament the darkness in the world while simultaneously being the most hope-filled people in the world. See, see it, when you're a Christian, what you understand is that the world is marred by sin and that the world is underneath the power of the devil. And when you're a Christian, you understand that, that tragedy is going to happen. When you're a Christian, you understand that there is disease and fractures and fallouts because of sin that has tarnished everything. And when you're a Christian, man, you grieve it all. And so when we hear about the tragedy on Wednesday, it's, it, as a Christian, you should, you, should, you should be sad about the way that we celebrate it as a community. You, you should be sad about... The, the, the children that were shot. You should be sad about the lady that died. You, but you should also be sad about what led to these, these adolescents having guns and getting into a fight. You, you should be sad about it all. Knowing that this is all just a symptom of a broken world. And that we know and we believe that the wages of sin is death. And so as Christians, man, we, we should be the most sad. In one hand, and you see this, Jesus, he's weeping. It's always confused me, like, why is Jesus so sad? He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he's living the paradox for us. And in Christianity, you live the paradox of being the most sad and weeping and so upset that there's death and decay and loss in this world. 
but yet we should be the most hope-filled. Because if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. And we should be the most hope-filled because there is a resurrection. That Jesus, he, he rose from the grave proving that he is the resurrection and the life. And that's what gives us hope. That is the foundation by which we build our understanding of this world and where things are headed in the end. So on Wednesday, there was a celebration that ended with a devastation because of hate. And it sent the city reeling with fear and disappointment and grief. But what we're learning about tonight is that only in Christ, only in Jesus and his death on the cross and the the fact that he rose from the grave, only in Christ do we see that progression reversed. That Jesus, he reversed the script, the script of celebration that led to devastation because of hate, sending the city reeling with fear and disappointment and grief. See, Jesus, he came on a rescue mission. And on the cross, there was a devastation that led to a resurrection or a celebration because of the love of God Almighty that sent the world reeling with salvation and forgiveness and acceptance by God Almighty. So my question tonight, if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, do you believe that? And if you do, then when tragedy squeezes your theology, may what be wrung out be the promises of God in the person of Christ. And may you be honest about the emotions that come with tragedy. But may you ultimately land on the foundation that Jesus is alive and that there is no problem that a good resurrection can't fix. Let's pray. Everyone here tonight, your head bowed, your eye closed. I know in, a, in, in rooms like we're in tonight, both here and both in the city, man, there are a host of problems. There are people here tonight that have gone through breakups recently where their hearts is broken. They thought they, they had found the one. They thought they had found him. They thought they had found the one. They thought they found her only to give years of their life. I know that there are people here tonight that are navigating chronic illnesses, wondering, God, where are you? You, just, you, could, you could fix all this with a word. I'm just tired of feeling this way. I know there are people here tonight whose parents are going through a divorce. And they're just so shocked that mom and dad can't work it out. People here tonight that were at the parade on, on Wednesday. That were right there. Thinking, man, I was just a few inches, a few feet away having my life taken from receiving a gun fight, a gunshot. Uh, there are people here tonight dealing with a host of things. And I just want to pray over 
you tonight. And there are also people here that are walking alongside of people that are in tragedy. And, and maybe you're the only Christian that people know. And when you're the only Christian that somebody knows, then, then you're the only Bible that they read, your life. And so how imperative it is for you to know how to lead people through tragedy. And so I want to pray for you as well, that God would give you wisdom and words to be able to counsel people in a way that would bring him glory and, and ultimately lead them to Christ. And so let me pray over you, both here in Lee Summit, you in the crossroads, and then we're going to transition into a time of, of informing our minds and feeding our hearts of the promises of the character of God Almighty. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray and ask that God would move in the midst of tragedy, knowing confidently that if he entered into humanity through Jesus and he wept, that somehow, someway, he can enter into our situation and he can minister to us in a way that only the Holy Spirit can. And so let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, I pray for my friends tonight. I pray for the person that just feels overlooked. God, I pray for the person that's heart is in shambles tonight. God, I ask that you would just pick up the pieces. Your word says that you draw near to the brokenhearted. And so God, I pray that your nearness would be, uh, it would be palpable amongst my friends tonight. God, for the, I pray for the person that's like just in the fog of something and they're trying to figure out which way's up, which way's down. Should I go to work? I'm gonna call in sick again because of whatever. God, I just ask that you would just help them to have the energy to take it day by day, that your grace would be sufficient today. God, I pray for the person that, uh, that was there on Wednesday, the person that, that saw it all go down, that, that has images burned in their brain of children bleeding and of, of people suffering and, and that saw the pandemonium of the fear of people. God, I just ask that you would help them emotionally to process those things. And God, for all of us that will one day face tragedy, if we're not facing it today, God, I pray that you would help us to cling on to the person that is Christ. Help us to build our theology and believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And when we put our faith in you, we will not perish, but we will live. God, I pray from that place of confidence, we would be able to face the days ahead. And when tragedy strikes, that we would grieve. God, help us to not be marked by stoicism. God, help us not to be marked by running to any other thing, but help us to be true to our emotions and help us to match the occasion with the right emotion. And so if it's tears, let them flow. And God, help us to be willing just to sit and help others cry. And God, at the end of the day, I pray that we would cling on to the anchor that is your resurrection. That without a resurrection, all of this is in vain. But because of the resurrection, we have hope, and we have hope that has been proven. So these are not just vain promises, but because of what you have done, everything is yes and amen in Christ. And so God, I pray that that would inform our hope and that we would be able to face the days ahead and the fogginess and, 
in the cloudiness and we would be able to see that you walk with us through the tragedy, that you didn't come to explain away all the suffering. You came to enter it and you came to guide us through it. And we just thank you for that and pray that we would be people that would live in the paradox of being broken over the brokenness of this world that ultimately led to the murder of Jesus Christ. But hope filled because Jesus overcame sin and death. And when we hitch our wagon to him, we can have life in the end. And so help us to be marked by that. God, for the person that's here walking a friend through a tragic time, I pray that they would have wisdom to give counsel. They would have wisdom and discernment to know when just to be quiet and just to be present. And that you would help us to be effective witnesses to our friends that are going through difficulty. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.